Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Live Internet Studies. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. This is episode number 139. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Makinu, our Father, our King, bless you, Lord, for bringing us through a joyous season of Shavuot, of Pentecost, of counting the Omer leading up to a special time. Lord, we know from reading through your words that Pentecost is a celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But what many believers may not be aware of is the timing of Shavuot Pentecost with the giving of the words of Torah on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. We thank you, Lord, for the, the, the significant themes that we have experienced as we celebrated uh, the festival time just recently. Um, the giving of your words, the celebration of your spirit, and how that it's all about Messiah. If we read the text with eyes opened by the Holy Spirit, we can know with certainty that you gave these festivals, these calendar times for us so that we can know your son, so that we can celebrate him, so that we can worship him. Passover was the season of being set free by the blood of the Lamb, being set free from bondage, which points to the freedom that we enjoy in Messiah Yeshua if we confess our sins, if we confess Him as Lord, if we accept Him as our Savior, receive Him into our lives, then we know that it is His blood that sets us free from our own personal Egypt, our own personal sin and shame. That's Passover. And then as we um, recognize the celebration of unleavened bread and of the um, Omer Rishit, the counting of the Omer, as we worked our way, Lord, we know He is that bread come down from heaven without sin. He is that first fruits from the dead. He is that first sheaf that was waved before the Father. Lord, one day we'll join him as those resurrected uh, ones who receive resurrected bodies. We counted the Omer, which connected us from the season of Passover, being set free by the blood of Messiah, to the time period of uh, Shavuot, Lord, being filled by the Holy Spirit of Messiah, being filled with his goodness and reminding us of the giving of the words of God, the words of Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that from start to finish, it is all about Yeshua. Help us to continue to serve one another during these times. Help us not to lose sight of the fact that we still live in a place, in a world where we desperately need your words of life, your spirit of truth. We need your uh, fellowship. We need to, your 
your strengthening. Um, Shavuot is supposed to change us. We're supposed to reflect on on the fact that um, we are a holy people, a set-apart people. Um, we need to live lives that are exemplary. Lord, we can't live the way we're expected to live and commanded to live without your precious Holy Spirit. It is as much a command to keep the Sabbath and keep kosher and, and, to, and to love our neighbor and to love God, but it's as much a command to be filled with the Spirit, like Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. Too often as believers, we kind of ignore that commandment. Be filled with the Spirit. Lord, help us to be filled with the Spirit on an everyday basis, to continually avail ourselves of His power in our lives so that we can live lives that are pleasing to you, so that we can continue to serve you with joy and with gladness. We're so thankful that you've brought us uh, together once again, that we can study your words, that we can fellowship with one another across the miles, that we can bless one another using this particular medium of the internet. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless everyone who's listening to my words right now and following along with this YouTube video. Bless them where they're at, raise them up, continue to protect them, and give us a voice uh, in this quite insane world in which we live. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory. B'shem Yeshua, Omein. Thank you, everyone, for joining me week after week. Once again, I join you live during these internet studies. My name is Ariel bin Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilatunaval, the Harvest in Thornton, Colorado. You can see my screen right now. I've got our home website pulled up at the harvest graftedin.com is where you can find us online g-r-a-f-t-e-d-i-n.com that's our congregational website we'd love to have you join us online or in person as things are improving in america with the covid situation you know baruch hashem bless the lord that we are returning somewhat to a semblance of normal in most places and in most states we can see um positive data uh, when it comes to the, the COVID situation, va- uh, vaccinations are seeming to be uh, effective. And so we're able to uh, relax and return to uh, some sense of the way it was before this awful pandemic began. We continue to pray, of course, as believers and believe that Hashem is still um, taking care of us as a nation, as a people, and that he's healing us. And so we continue to pray for our nation uh, that we'll be a place where we can um, uh, maybe just be completely back to normal. Maybe this pandemic thing will be a maybe just like a seasonal thing like the flu or the cold or something like that as as uh, as things run their course. So we just pray for one another. Um, if you can meet us online, that would be great. If you can meet us in person, that would be even better. If you go online, you can uh, check out the sermons that we record and upload to YouTube. Uh, as you can see on my screen right now on the right side of the page, Pentecost speaking on God's behalf to a lost world. Mark is just finishing up his Pentecost series there. Uh, so we hope that you enjoy the sermons that you can find there. Speaking of online uh, teachings, I've got my own website at graft. I'm sorry, at uh, tatesaytorah.com. I actually do contribute to the Grafted Insight as well. I'm a Torah teacher there and and uh, provide my weekly commentaries. But I've got most of my commentaries right here. Tatesaytorah.com. You can find me online at. I'll spell it for you. T e t z e t o r a h dot com. I'd be delighted for you to. Um, uh, avail yourself of all the resources that I put up that you can see on my screen right now. And um, most commentaries are written, but these days m- things are turning into uh, podcasts or audio commentaries, YouTube videos, and things like that. So just feel free to um, uh, uh, avail yourself and use whatever resources are there. That I put them up there for your using. I've also got a YouTube video. You can find me online at youtube.com 
forward slash C forward slash Tetsay Torah Ministries. That's my YouTube uh, channel there, my uh, YouTube uh, address. And um, if you do go to my YouTube channel, just again, uh, click around and um, see what you like. Click on the little videos tab. You can see on my screen right now. And um, you can see I'm pretty busy. I upload something every day of the week, I think six days a week, and then the, the day that I'm not uploading a video, I'm still uploading a, a, a podcast or something like that, so I quite I try to keep quite busy. So uh, let me know uh, what you think of my YouTube channel. There's five things I always ask you to do if you do visit my channel. Number one, subscribe, become a member of the family. Number two, hit the little thumbs up if you like the content. Number three, um, I, I think these are out of the order that I normally rinse, but but hit the thumbs up. Number three, hit the bell for notifications. Usually I say that second. Uh, number four, um, uh, uh, leave comments. Let me know what you think about the content of the video. Uh, if you have questions, you can leave them there in the, uh, below the videos. Or if you have objections to my teachings, my my uh, uh, my theology, let me know what you object to. And then number five, hit the little arrow that allows you to share the content with your friends and family and your other social media uh, groups and gangs and things like that. That would really be a blessing to me. All right, these are the live internet studies and uh, just some brief announcements. Uh, this is episode number 139. The meeting is May 24th, uh, USA date for tonight's teaching. We meet every Monday evening from 7 p.m. to approximately 8 p.m. So if you'd like to meet with us no matter where you're at in the world, set your clock against the central standard time zone in America for 7 p.m. and then adjust whatever your clock, you know, these days any internet uh, browser will allow you to do that and um, you'll be able to meet with us. We have an hour-long teaching before us and it's broken up into two basic 30-minute segments. The first one will be Romans 14 Unplugged, Feast and Fast and Food, oh my. We're in part 55 tonight and we're going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago where we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're using um, supplementary material from Tim Haig and we're talking about how that the kingdom of God, uh, the understanding of it from a biblical perspective, entirely in includes... Um, uh, a theology that's central and important to uh, national Israel and how that impacts and brings in the church as she's been grafted into remnant Israel, uh, national Israel at the remnant level, uh, brings us into a better appreciation of the book of Romans as a whole as we contemplate Paul's intended audience there in Rome and his um, part of his uh, uh, a reason for putting the letter together so they can bring Jews and Gentiles into a better um, approximation with one another so they can serve one another. That's why we're using that material. And then in segment two tonight, the last 30-minute segment uh, is given over to Exploring the Shema, Discussions on the Issues of Trinity, Paper 2, Yahweh and Yeshua, Part 72 tonight. We'll continue working our way through that chart that CARM supplied. Um, we're almost done with the chart. We're, as I look at the chart, I think we've got like three more left, not counting tonight or something like that. So we're almost done with the chart. That's great. And then as always, we've got a featured YouTube video. Tonight we'll look at Joshua 1, 7 through 9. We'll watch it. Short little three-minute video. This book of the law. So I hope you stick around to the very end and watch the video. If you go to stay on that that same page where I was looking at the um, announcements about the, uh, the uh, meetings, um, we use Skype as our platform 
that I, that's the one I've chosen to use. Um, so if you can get access to Skype, that would be great. Uh, the easiest way to do it would be to stay on my website at tatesitor.com. And if you're on that live internet studies announcement page, which you can access from the very, very top of the screen, that little, that orange banner across the top, that kind of orange strip. If you click on that, that'll take you to this page. Um, click on the big, the big blue Skype banner. You can't miss it. That will launch Skype in your browser. It'll ask you if you'd like to join the meeting. And that's actually the Skype link. And that's the easiest way to join. There's no need to send me an email or anything like that. I'm going to try and make this as easy as possible. Just click the Skype link and your browser will do all the rest for you. If you're on a, a mobile device, like a smartphone or an iPad or something like that, Android device, then you might be um, asked to install Skype software and or uh, log in with some sort of credentials like Facebook or something like that, Skype ID if you've got one. But all of that's free, so why not? You only have to do it once, and then the next time you join, your uh, device will be prepared. So join us each week via Skype. And then while you're on my website, real quick, drop all the way to the bottom in that black footer section where you've got some Hebrew writing in there and uh, prayerfully consider um, joining in support of my ministry. Click the little yellow donate button if the Lord is laying it on your heart to be a blessing to me. I could really use the help. Um, still in a position where I'm just struggling out here uh, to to um, uh, find uh, permanent employment. And so um, I'm believing by faith that God is uh, utilizing um, sincere believers around the world who are um, uh, sacrificially giving uh, to assist me there. So I appreciate uh, everyone who's given and those who are continuing to give. Uh, I'm blessed to be a, on the receiving end of your generosity. And as I always say, be blessed as you seek to be a blessing to others. Let's turn now to Romans 14 Unplugged, Feast and Fast and Food. Oh my. And um, I've got a commentary that is available on my website at tatesatora.com. And uh, there's a lengthy section at the very beginning called um, uh, Introduction, Background, and Historical Audience. And basically, that's the section that we're working our way through. And um, eventually, we're going to get to, you can see on my screen, out uh, the conclusions. And then from there, we'll continue to work through a commentary. And I didn't really have this in order the way I'd like it to be. If I were a better author, better writer, I could, I would probably have had this all planned out in advance and we'd have worked our way through the introduction material and, and then began the study. But it just didn't work out that way. And so I'm kind of playing catch up with all the introductory material, even though we've already been through much of the study, about half of it so far. So with this look at the um, introduction and appreciating the background and historical audience, we've been um, examining different resources, some of it my own, some of it other authors, um, on helping us to better uh, get into the mindset of what it was like 2,000 years ago for Paul to write a letter to a community that he had never even been to, but yet um, eventually, you know, within five years or so, that he would actually visit that particular area. What was on Paul's mind? Um, why did he write the letter? What were some of his concerns as he penned the words that he did? We know that Romans is a very lengthy theological treatise on different pillars of the faith, uh, salvation and, and uh, original sin and justification and um, sanctification. And I mean, it's just, it is... Paul's masterpiece by, by every standard. It's what people would call his magnum opus, his greatest work. But um, 
sometimes hidden within all of that um, systematic theology that Romans presents for us, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that there was a real-life community structure uh, that lived where he wrote to, and the real people that had to contend with everyday uh, situations as they um, sought to live their lives as pleasing to the Lord. And yet at the same time, there's this Jewish community that was experiencing its own ups and downs, you know, with the expulsion from Rome with Emperor Claudius right around the time that Paul, or just shortly before Paul wrote the letter. How did that impact them? And what was the Gentile Christian's responsibility to the Jewish communities that they're connected to? Remember, according to Paul in Romans chapter 11, in his Olive Tree Theology, the Gentile Christians are grafted into remnant Israel. They're grafted into Israel at the remnant level. They become part of the people group of Israel without changing their ethnicity and converting to become Israelites in that respect. They are Gentile Israelites. They are part of the commonwealth of Israel, to use the language from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. So they've been brought near to the people of God. That's the language that Paul uh, uses in those letters, Ephesians and Romans respectively. He's trying to get the Gentile Christians to connect to an existing community of faith. He's not trying to explain to the Gentile Christians that they overtake national Israel or replace them as a people group in God's economy. Even though Israel is in a state of national blindness, uh, where she's hardened, where she's she's backslidden, where she's um, uh, partially blinded, according to Romans again, where she's um, stumbling, Romans chapter 11 all over again, Romans 9, 10, 11. Paul wants the Gentile Christians to, to understand their responsibility to reach out in mercy and grace and serve the Gentiles, uh, serve the Jews, uh, the Jewish people, just like Messiah served them. That's what we uh, gather when we read Romans chapter 15 and Paul's conclusion to this section that we're studying. So all of that introduces us to this idea of the kingdom of God in Paul's day. Not so much today because we've kind of lost that appreciation of this aspect that we're going to be talking about tonight, and because the dynamics have changed in regards to um, interaction between the two people groups, church on one side, synagogue on the other side, the separation between the two groups, the the, the um, uh, multiplied, uh, um, what should we say, the, uh, how do I describe this, the um, differentiating between the different dominations of, of Christian groups and the fact that the church is worldwide and sometimes just disconnected from another in, in distance and then theology and things like that makes it very difficult for us to appreciate the biblical concept of kingdom of heaven slash kingdom of God. So that's why we're doing this kind of excursus type look into this section if we turn to the material that I'm going to be using, Tim Haig is the one who supplied this, um, we can begin to hopefully appreciate and and have a, a, a strengthened concern for Paul's writing. And when Paul wrote to church groups in his, in his time, he didn't see the Gentiles as disconnected from Israel. That's really the base, the bottom line that I'm trying to convey. His Christians in his, in his time still had a vibrant connection and responsibility to the Jewish communities, and uh, they still had access to the synagogue in many ways. They weren't disconnected and cut off like today because of rabbinic Judaism and because of the um, uh, the poison and the blindness of the uh, uh, anti-missionary and counter-missionary type uh, teachings today. But the Jewish communities were still open to listening to Messianic Jews such as Paul. Go back and read Acts chapter 28 all over again. 
Paul still had access to the unbelieving synagogues, the mainline, mainstream Jewish communities. And the Christians would have had access and interaction with them as well. And so that's what we're trying to um, uh, appreciate and uh, learn better. Let's pick up where we left off a few weeks ago. Um, Go back and listen to, I think it's... uh, teaching number one, uh, episode number 137, um, before we took a break for the Passover season and, or maybe even 136, before we took a break for the Passover season and then the, uh, the, the, the Shavuot season, go back and listen to previous commentaries, watch the videos, go to my YouTube channel and do that for me, okay? Um, let's read, let me just read the last, say, maybe just the last uh, paragraph uh, maybe starting right there, something like that. This is the, to kind of segue into um, what we have already been studying from Tim Haig here. This is from his Matthew commentary, which is available for purchase from his um, resources there. Torresource.com is his website, and he's got an online store where you can purchase this material. You can download it as a PDF document, or you can purchase the hardcover book and, and have it mailed out to you. Here's what Tim Haig has to say about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is thus neither entirely internal, that is ethical, nor external, that is political or geographical, but it's actually both. For the return of Israel to her land is in conjunction with her repentance and the establishment of the covenant on her behalf. The rule and reign of God is thus seen in its fullness. Listen up. The rule and reign of God, we're talking about the kingdom of of God, the kingdom of the king. The rule and reign of God is thus seen in its fullness when the Torah is written on the heart, which results in outward obedience to the word of the king. Read Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 all over again, in conjunction with Ezekiel 36, 22 through 28, which we're going to read in our liturgy tonight. What we learned during our Shavuot study is that Torah observance is a matter of the heart. Torah observance is something that God himself empowers believers to embark on, to um, to engage in. It's not something that should be accomplished in the power of the flesh. Although, before you become a believer in Messiah, it is something that you typically do, right? Unbelieving Jews, people who don't believe in Jesus as their Lord, are still attempting to become Torah observant. They're still trying to do what God asks them to do, even if it is under their own power. And on one sense, that's not a bad thing, because the Torah is designed to lead you into a decision about who Yeshua is as you study God, and as you study his words, and as you study about the Messiah that's found in the Torah. So it's not a bad thing as an unbeliever to embark on a path of Torah observance. But in the end, what God designed the Torah to be was a tool that comes into our lives and um, continues to um, lead us in a sanctification walk as we live lives that are righteous to God, as we turn from sin, as we learn to love one another and serve one another as believers and servants of Messiah, as slaves of Messiah, as we're going to talk about in our Shema study tonight. We are supposed to use the Torah under the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit himself who should be strengthening us to be Torah observant. Thus we learned during the season of Shavuot that the giving of the words of God 
are designed to lead to the filling of the Spirit of God so that the two work together. That's the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together in concert in the life of a believer that brings about the fullest expression of what God intends for us as believers. Amen? So don't forget about the Torah, but at the same time, it's vital that we make the connection to the Spirit of God. This is all in the mind of Paul as he's working through this idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, Jews and Gentiles walking together, loving one another, serving one another in the kingdom of God towards the establishment of the covenant that God made with Israel and with his with their forefathers. God's got this grand plan, his promises, read about them in the prophets, and it involves bringing Israel back into a place of security in her own land where she can worship God in fullness. And the Gentiles are worshiping God together with Israel, not separate, right? It's not that the Gentiles are supposed to be off in one place. I'm not trying to say that everybody's supposed to be crammed in that little piece of real estate in the Middle East. That's not what I'm describing. I'm simply trying to say that in the end, Israel will um, will broaden her borders in one sense, in a in religious sense, to include the entire earth, and therefore the the earth will be full of the the knowledge of the Lord one day, and His fullness will 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 cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, and uh, we'll have this time period where it's it's a, a blessing to serve the Lord, Jew and Gentile, walking in Torah, walking in His Spirit, loving one another, and uh, fulfilling the commandments the way we're supposed to. Uh, the kingdom of God will be seen in its fullest expression, not just in down payment form like it is today. Primarily, the kingdom of God is the minority, and the kingdom of Satan is the majority at the moment. Um, but one day, we'll, re- we'll reverse all that. Uh, the kingdom of God will be the majority. It will be the, the main uh, feature of, of God's uh, creation, and the, the kingdom of Satan will be uh, the lesser. It'll still be there for a little while, but and, until its final demise at the end of the book of Revelation. But for now, let's talk about this kingdom of God. Uh, Haig continues right here. Um, what is future... When we're talking about the kingdom of God, what is future, if we read through our prophets, is that the national expression of this new covenant in the descendants of Jacob is something that we're still awaiting. Keep in mind, when I get to the liturgy of tonight for Ezekiel, when Paul read through his Bible, through his own Tanakh, and he um, got the passages that talked about the um, uh, restoration of national Israel to her land and the bringing in of the Gentiles. Paul understood that this glorious future for Israel was actually taking place in his present time, but only in seed form, what we call seminal form, in down payment form, due to what was taking place uh, because of the bringing of Messiah. So the Messiah coming into the world for Paul spelled the beginning of the end time events, the beginning of the bringing of the kingdom of God to earth in its fullness, the beginning of the promises made to Israel coming to pass um, right before our very eyes. And the feature that we miss as Gentile Christians, I'm certain we miss this uh, based on the sermons that I've listened to over the years, the commentaries that I've read, the pastors that I've had conversations with. We typically as Gentile Christians miss this one fact. We miss the fact that the kingdom of God is central of importance to national Israel, but only as the Gentiles are full participants in this kingdom experience. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God 
and the inclusion of the Gentiles is not plan B in God's salvation program. It's plan A. Israel without the Gentile presence, Israel without the Gentile inclusion is not Israel. Not the way that she's supposed to be according to God's plans. When God brought a people group into existence, Israel, he has always envisioned the Gentiles as part of Israel in the covenantal sense, as a covenant people, Jew and Gentile. Not an erasing of the ethnicities between Jew and Gentile, not a blurring of the lines, not a, a swapping of the, of the ethnicities, not mix and match, not um, proselyte conversion, not uh, supersessionism or replacement theology. All of that uh, um, introduces confusion into the whole matter. Jews retain their identity, Gentiles retain their identity, but the two come together as the complementary pairs in this bouquet of God's covenant family. That's what God has envisioned, and that's what Paul understands when he reads through his Bible. And that's what we should appreciate, as well as Gentile Christians who've been given the light and shown the truth of who Messiah is. We now bear the responsibility to reach out to disenfranchise, unbelieving, stumbling Israel to bring her into this truth as well. Is it difficult? Yeah, you bet. Try explaining to a religious Jew that you, you a Gentile Christian, are grafted into their people group and yet retain your ethnicity as a Gentile, and that the Torah is equally applicable to you as a Gentile Christian, even though you believe in Jesus, the Messiah. All of that is just a mouthful for your average religious Jew. They can't understand it. They've been blinded by their own theology. They've been blinded by their own ideology, but more important, they have been blinded by the devil himself. This Jewish exclusivism that was taught in the first century, remember we studied this in last week's uh, study or two weeks ago, go back and listen to the last 12 videos that I uploaded to YouTube recently in short five-minute installments uh, over the course of the um, Shavuot break. We talked about this works of the law blindness in Paul's day was a a kind of a Jewish-only theology. It excluded Gentile inclusion in the covenants of God, in the kingdom of God, and in the promises of God. And so, it, it made Gentiles go through an unnecessary step of conversion or a hoop of, of changing ethnicity if they wanted to participate in uh, Israelite membership. And that's never been God's plan. That's not God's way. So this is what Paul's working against, and we still have to work against that today. What is future is the national expression of this new covenant in the descendants of Jacob. The present expression of the kingdom of heaven is the believing remnant, we the church, we the body of Messiah, who have participated in the new covenant already as the first fruits of the eventual harvest. So we the church, we the body of believers, it's not going to stop with us. God has a plan for Israel to bring her in, to bring her back to himself. If we, the church, are not reaching out to bring Israel into her own family, to bring her out of her darkness or out of her spiritual blindness, then who do we expect is supposed to do it? Right? You can hear kind of the the little bit of rebuke in my voice at mainstream Christianity as a whole. 
because we've we've abandoned this idea that the kingdom of God involves Israel. We've just forgotten about what God gave to the prophets so long ago, and that there's a glorious promise that still waits national Israel, even though she's unbelieving, even though she's stumbling. We kind of just um, imagine that it's all about the church, it's all about the Gentiles, it's all about us. Come on, people, get, get you know, come come back to your senses. Wake up. We've got to go back to what the scriptures tell us. What does the Bible teach when it comes to the kingdom of God? What is the focal point in God's salvation program? We've been shown grace and mercy at Israel's expense. Read Romans chapter 11. They became blinded so that we can receive the, an opportunity and be brought into this truth. Yes, that's glorious. Amen. Praise God, Baruch Hashem, for God blinding Israel in part so that we, the Gentiles, could be brought in. But that's not the end of the program. We now have a responsibility to turn right back to our Jewish brothers and bring them in to the family of God. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't. And we can't expect the other religious groups around us to be doing it, right? Are we expecting the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Hare Krishnas, the Buddhists, the, the, Mor- the, the Muslims? Are we expecting them to explain the gospel to them? Not on your life, because they don't have the truth. We have the exclusive truth of who Messiah Yeshua is. We, the church, have the responsibility to reach out to national, unbelieving, stumbling Israel. Omain, Omain. Let's continue reading through uh, Tim Hague's material here. What are the practical implications of the kingdom of heaven? Hague's writes, It should first of all arrest our attention that the gospel proclaimed by Yeshua and commissioned in his apostles is the, quote, gospel of the kingdom, end quote. Read through Matthew and Mark and Luke. Particularly, Matthew uses this phrase, kingdom of God, uh, exclusively. Uh, the other uh, gospel writers don't use it as much. Kingdom of heaven is what they're going to show. Remember, we talked about that circumlocution. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. It's just the same thing without saying the word God there. Heg continues, from this, we should understand that the good news, the gospel, the euangelion in the Greek, proclaimed by Yeshua and his Talmudim, was at its core kingdom centered. Let me stop and let that sink in. What Yeshua and his disciples taught when they talked about the good news, the gospel, it's not just that you can be saved from your sins. Although, don't get me wrong, that is good news. If you are a sinner, if you're listening to my podcast tonight, or uh, watching my YouTube video, or listening to this podcast, and you don't know who Yeshua is, you don't know God in the pardon of your sins. What are you waiting for? The good news is you can be set free from your sin. You can be brought into a relationship with God. You can repair the damaged relationship that you have with your creator, with your heavenly father. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. You just need to confess your sins. God can move into your heart. Yeshua can overtake uh, uh, um, overshadow you and 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 bring you into this relationship with his father he will move into your heart he'll 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 impart upon you his precious holy spirit he'll bring you into a relationship that that you've never ever imagined could take place what are you waiting for what are you waiting for Enjoin or, or uh, embark on this on this journey. Uh, go down the path of of, of righteousness. Uh, accept the good news. This good news is what 
Yeshua and his tall meaning proclaimed this good news is about the kingdom. It's kingdom-centric. It's about the king and his subjects. Who is the king? Who are his subjects? Let's let Tim Egg answer this question for us. This kingdom-centered good news, this gospel, has vast implications for understanding of what the gospel is and what it entails. First, contrary to the primary emphasis in our day, in most modern church circles, the gospel is not ultimately an individual reality. Although, please don't misunderstand what Tim Hague is trying to say. I think I know what he's trying to get at here. It is wonderful news that each and every one of us has been given an invitation and an opportunity so that we can be rescued from darkness, so that we can be rescued from the clutches of sin, so that we can we can um, be uh, set free from the kingdom of darkness and brought into this family of God on an individual basis. Each and every one of us. It's not only about the group, is the point I'm trying to make. It's not something that you have to be long to a group to enjoy. You don't have to join a church to be a kingdom um, participant. You don't have to be born into a Christian family and have Christian mom and dad in order to be counted as precious in God's sight. You don't have to be born Jewish or be raised in an Orthodox Jewish home or something like that. Everyone, wherever they're at, on an individual level, you can join the kingdom of God. You just need to uh, confess Yeshua, reach out to him, surrender to his lordship, allow him to take up uh, residency within your heart, um, and the power of the Holy Spirit can come upon you. Um, it's that simple. I'm using air quotes with my fingers. But it's not only about individuals. There's this aspect of kingdom of heaven that Tim Hague's reminding us of that the Bible talks about, where there's a, a people group. What does it mean to join the kingdom of heaven? How does it involve a people group and not just individuals? Let's keep reading. That is to say, while the salvation procured by Yeshua through his death, resurrection, ascension, and intercession is indeed a salvation of individuals from the condemnation of their sins and comes to each individual on the basis of having been individually chosen salvation and given the gift of personal faith, right? We know this as Christians, as church members. This salvation, nonetheless, brings an individual into a kingdom under the rule and reign of the Messiah. The body of the Messiah, no matter which metaphor you're looking at, we've got the body of Messiah, and this is a kingdom. The kingdom of God, the body of Messiah. What does it mean to belong to the body of Messiah? What does it mean to to switch metaphors for a moment from the body to looking at the kingdom, to use a metaphor of the family? What does that entail? That's We're trying to broaden our understanding and appreciation of the worldview that Paul lived in, Jews and Gentiles and Messiah, living together, working together uh, towards the common goal of glorifying God and, and exalting his Messiah, Yeshua. Tim Hague continues, thus, acceptance of the good news is at the same time an acceptance of a new citizenship, right, for Jew and Gentile. It brings the believer into a covenant relationship with God, listen to this, as well as with all other members of the kingdom. This is the challenge to us as primarily as Gentiles who understand who Yeshua is, but it's a challenge to Jews who are blinded to their Messiah. They think that the kingdom is Israel-centric and that it's all about national Judaism and all about religious Judaism and all about um, the relationship of God as uh, is um, uh, 
what do we say, uh, outlined and described in the in the Tanakh. They don't read the New Testament by and large, and so they're blind to the reality of the Gentiles who've been grafted into, brought into relationship with them as a family group. They're like this 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 um, immediate family who isn't aware that they've got now that they now have adopted siblings, right? Keep the family analogy running for a second. If you got this mom and dad who have natural children, they were born to them. That's the natural family. That's Israel. And then the family expands. It grows when the mom and dad decide to adopt children who are not naturally born to them as parents. They go outside of the, the natural family of siblings and they adopt and bring in these other siblings. And they bring them into the family under adoption process. In this example that I'm giving you, it's natural to understand that the natural children, the natural born children, should learn to accept these adopted children into the family. It's one family. We have one set of parents, mom and dad. There's not two sets of parents. And the siblings that were adopted are as much a part of the family as the natural children. Right, mom and dad aren't going to treat the adopted children differently when it comes to, um, you know, what is right and what is wrong, the standards of of the family and the family rules and things like that. No, the adopted children are going to be treated as if they were native-born children by mom and dad, and thus the challenge to the natural children is that they need to accept the adopted children. At the same time, the challenge to the adopted children is that they need to. Um, understand that the natural children are not, are part of their family as well. They, this is a new family that they've been run into. Well, that analogy carries over to Israel. God is the parent, right? And he has the natural children. And, and I'm using the word natural in, in a limited sense. It's obviously understood that Israel um, is also God's adopted children in, in, in a very real sense. But um, just for the sake of my analogy, we're... we're um, figuring uh, national Israel as the natural children, in my little analogy, and the Gentiles who've been brought into a relationship with, with God through acceptance of Messiah, through faith in Jesus, they are like the adopted children. And thus, there's one family, one kingdom of people who have this corporate identity as God's loyal subjects. And that's what Tim says here. The notion that salvation is merely a personal individual soul response to God leaves out the ultimate goal of God's uh, saving grace. That is, his intention to establish a kingdom of people who have a corporate identity as his loyal subjects, Jew and Gentile together. The kingdom of heaven is not restricted then to the vertical relationship of the individual to his savior, but equally finds expression in the relationship between each other. This is important to Paul if you read through his letter of Romans very carefully. He's speaking to brothers who are Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, but at the same time, He's reaching out to the disenfranchised, stumbling Israelites, but he's using the Gentiles as his first and primary resource. You, oh brother, Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, you, brother Christians, you've got this responsibility and the the you've been empowered by the Spirit of God to continue to love your neighbor as yourself, which is, of course, found in the Torah, 
you've got this opportunity to share the good news with those Jewish people who not only have been suffering at the hands of Rome because they've been kicked out time and time again, but now they're in a position where they have um, uh, received what it seems like a disfavor from God. In part, they're blinded. Not fully, and thankfully not forever. But at this juncture in history, they're blinded. They're stumbling. They don't understand Yeshua. They're in decision mode. Yes, some of them are even in rebellion mode. But for those Jews who are still willing and open to listen, who are still searching and looking and waiting for a personal Messiah to save them from their sin, to bring reconciliation with the Father, those Jews need your help, O Gentile Christians. This is Paul writing. They need your help. They need you reaching out to them, supporting them, and and sharing the good news with them. How are they going to receive the truth of the kingdom of God, the working of the Spirit among the people of God, the, the reality of the Messiah in the midst of the people of God? How are they going to have a chance to experience that if you separate yourselves from them as people groups, if you go off into your own side of the street and form your own separate denominations irrespective of national Israel? How's that supposed to work out? That's not what Paul envisioned. And so he warned the Gentile Christians, and I'll close down my section with this. He warned the Gentiles in Romans chapter 11 against their pride against national Israel, about boasting against the natural branches, about imagining that they're in a place where they don't need national Israel anymore because they have received the Messiah and the Holy Spirit and the favor from God. No, Paul says, you be careful where you're at. If God didn't spare the natural branches because of their unfaithfulness and their unbelief, what makes you think he's going to spare you? So this is the warning that Paul gives to us in the letter to the book of Romans. And we Gentile Christians, we brothers, are the primary recipients of Paul's admonition as warning there. So let's not make the same mistakes that so many of our forefathers in, in church history have made, where we've turned a blind eye to national, unbelieving, stumbling Israel. And we just imagine, well, well, there's nothing we can do. You know, we wring our hands in frustration. They won't listen to us when we try to witness to them. They shut the doors on our faces when we bring up the J word. When we mention Jesus, they spit in our faces. Yeah, of course they're going to. They're blinded, right? They're blinded by their own flesh. They're blinded by their own darkness. They're blinded by the adversary. So we've got to continue to witness to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Omain. I think I'll shut down the commentary for the uh, uh, Romans study tonight. We'll stop there. We'll pick this up next week uh, where Tim Hay continues to talk about the kingdom of God and um, how it is important for us as Christians, Gentile Christians, to not lose sight of the fact that this is still very much a program that includes Israel. She's down, but she's not down for the count, right? She's blinded. She's ne- she's unbelieving. She's stumbling, but like Paul says, she has not stumbled so as to so as to be uh, out of the race. She's not she's not out of the race yet, right? God has not written her off, and you shouldn't either. And that'll do it for our look at uh, exploring the Shema. Disco- I'm sorry, at, at uh, Romans 14 unplugged feast and fast and food. Oh my.
Let's turn now to exploring the Shema, discussions on the issues of Trinity. Let's take the last 15 minutes of this study and look at the verses that we've got um, uh, prepared for us tonight. Remember, we're working our way through, let me just drop all the way to the bottom so you can see this. We're working our way through this chart provided by CARM. And um, it's a chart, let me blow that up a little bit. Yeah, there we go. All right, so we've got this chart uh, in front of us. And we're working our way through um, the relevance of the, from the reading from left to right, the relevance of the title or the reality or the truth, the concept, the ideal, the label, the name, um, the character of, the personality trait, etc., etc., where we've got God as one being. There's only one God, and we serve only one God. There is one God we serve, and yet, in his complexity... He has revealed himself to be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet one God. Three persons, yet one being. And in this examination of the biblical identity of this being known as God, we encounter attributes, actions, character traits, um, things that God has done in human history. And they overlap when we read the Bible from beginning to end between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In many ways, we find passages that um, describe God and things that he's done and things that he's doing and attributes that he uh, exhibits, and they're shared across the three persons. And so we looked at the fact that we belong to God, that God is our Savior most recently. And now we're ready to turn to the fact that we serve God the Father in the book of Matthew, and we serve God the Son in the book of Colossians. And Carm has left out any space over in the far right where we serve the Holy Spirit. Although, if we play with the word serve and we apply it to the Holy Spirit, we could probably find verses that kind of imply that, since he is very God and fully God. But for now, let's just focus on these two um, aspects of God the Father and God the Son. We serve God in Matthew 4.10, and we serve God the Son, or um, Yeshua, in Colossians 3.24. Let's turn to those. And as always, keep in mind that when we're reading through passages like this, even though much of the theology of the Shema, or much of the theology of the fact that there's one God in three persons, much of the theology of the Trinity focuses on the passages out of the New Testament, you should always be starting your search in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. That forms what we call the antecedent theology, the theology that came before the New Testament. That's what I mean by antecedent, the, the thing which preceded. And so you should start your understanding in the, in the Old Testament. We're not going to do that tonight, but we will bring in some passages as they're cross-referenced. So, the first reference that Carm had was in Matthew chapter, what do we say? It's in um, Matthew 4.10. And when we look at the passage right here, it says in the ESV, Then Jesus said to him, speaking to Satan, Be gone, Satan. Right? This is the, the familiar temptation of Christ. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, right? For it is written. What do you think he's quoting? You think he's quoting his pocket New Testament? <laughs> right. You think he's quoting his Siddur? His Jewish prayer book? No. He's not quoting either one of those. What Yeshua is quoting when he says, for it is written, he's quoting the existing scriptures of his day, which would have been the Tanakh, the breakdown of the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, the T-N-K. That's what the acronym Tanakh stands for. The T in Tanakh is Torah. 
the five books of Moses. The N in Tanakh is Nevi'im, the prophets, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, including the, the minor prophets as well, right? Amos, Hosea, all of those guys. And then the K in Tanakh is Ketuvim, which stands for writings, which would include the Psalms and the Proverbs and the wisdom literature, right? Um, the, the, the Ecclesiastes and Songs of Solomon and things like that. So when Yeshua says, at as it is written or for it is written, Right, kakatuv in the Hebrew or gagreptai in the Greek, it's a reference to the existing scriptures that Yeshua would have been familiar with, which would have been the existing Old Testament, the Tanakh. For it is written, quote, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only, him exclusively, shall you serve. So, um, in the Greek, this would show up over here, gegraptai, right? As it is written, as it is, it is, is laid down already in written form. Gegraptai garkuriantan theonsu. It is written, the Lord of you, right? The Lord of you, prakuneses, um, prakuneses, you shall worship him, kai and auto humon, uh, auto mano latruses. This is the one you shall serve exclusively or only, mano. Mano latruses. Only shall you serve. This is a quote from the Torah. We'll look at where it likely comes from here in a moment. But what we want to center in on in that little Greek phrase that I was looking at when I read the whole phrase is this, uh, uh, the last Greek word in the verse. Latruses. Latruses is the Greek word for serve or uh, service. And if we were to look up this word in your Strong's Concordance, we would end up with Strong's number 3000. Latruo. Latruo. And this is a word that connotes this idea of service, especially to God, or it can include worship. And the Helps Word Studies down below there uh, lets us know that it's uh, from a Greek word that implies um, rendering technical acceptable service because of specifically qualified or equipped uh, persons. It, it almost includes the idea of service or worship from um, an employer, an employee perspective. It's like you're working for someone. You're hired for a job because you're qualified for the job that you've been hired for. So this is what it means to serve God using this particular Greek word. Now, this isn't the only word that we're going to find when we're talking about the English word serve. We'll look at this in a moment. But it's going to be our starting point where charm, charm, where Karm's chart starts us out with, where Yeshua says, God is the only one that you should worship or the only one you should serve. Now, um, if we look at the cross-reference to this Matthew uh, verse, where did Yeshua quote from? Most cross-reference Bibles are going to park you over at either Exodus 23 or Deuteronomy 6 or Deuteronomy 10. Those are the likely places uh, where he talks about worshiping God. It's likely, I, I, I believe it's Deuteronomy passage because he, he uses the word mano uh, in the in the Greek there. Um, mano latruses, you should um, worship God alone. He's the only one, the mano right there, uh, the exclusive one. And when we look cross-reference wise at first at Exodus 23, uh, quote, starting in verse 25, Moshe says, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take away sickness from among you. But it doesn't say anything about serving God, God alone or exclusively exclusively, at least in the English rendering. So um, that's a good place to start 
when it comes to cross-references. But look at the other cross-reference um, passages. The other possibilities. Deuteronomy 6.13. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only. Oh, now we have the idea of an exclusive service to God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. We're going to find out here in a moment in the Hebrew that the word only doesn't actually even show up in the Hebrew. Uh, it's, it's, it's exclusively a Greek feature. But the the um, the context is there because of the way uh, the, the Hebrew is formed. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only. And then also in Deuteronomy 10.20, it's nearly word-for-word identical um, quote from the Deuteronomy 6 passage. Moshe says in Deuteronomy 10.20, You are to fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. So it's likely Yeshua was quoting from Deuteronomy when he says, uh, As it is written, you should serve the Lord your God alone when he's talking to Satan there. So let's look now at those passages real brief. Uh, in Exodus 20, uh, Exodus 23:25, we have the uh, kind of the KJV rendering, you shall serve the Lord your God and he shall bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. I'm only interested in the first uh, clause, the first sentence. And you shall serve the Lord your God, which is uh, right there. This uh, first phrase doesn't mention anything about serving the Lord exclusively, right? Uh, like uh, Yeshua mentioned. Indeed, if we look down at the Greek, and serve the Lord. Uh, serve the Lord, the God of you. If I were to translate it woodenly from the Greek back over into my own English rendering, uh, we can indeed see the Greek down to the uh, the Hebrew. I'm sorry, the English rendering of this particular translator down at the bottom of my screen. You shall serve the Lord your God. Notice, there's nothing about the exclusive. It doesn't mention the word mono like it did in the Matthew passage. So uh, the first thing we encounter is that the um, uh, Greek word latrusis here is identical to what Matthew offered for us right there. The same Greek word, Strong's number 3000, is represented by the um, Greek rendering of the Septuagint from the original Hebrew, which the original Hebrew word, um, let's see if I can highlight it right there, avad, uh, from which we get the phrase vavadtem, the plural uh, rendering here in its construct, from the Hebrew avad, which is uh, similar to the name, you've heard the book Obadiah, Obadiah, which those of you who know any amount of Hebrew um, uh, in your studies, Obadiah is formed from two words, Obad, which is the name of the, the part of the name which includes serving or worshiping, and then the Yah, Obadiah, the Yah, is the God, right? So it's worship, uh, worshiper of God or servant of God, uh, 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 employer of God, something like that. So this is where we get the same word. It's, it's the same root word here that, uh, uh, in this Hebrew here, Vadvadim, and you shall worship. Well, the Greek counterpart of Obad, Obad or Avad, the root word, is the Latruses here that we're looking at, the Latruo, the Strong's number 3000. All right, so that's where we're getting the beginning of our appreciation of this particular word study. If we continue over into the Deuteronomy passages, let's just pick on Deuteronomy, um, what did I say, the, uh, the Croft reference, uh, Deuteronomy 6.13. We don't need to look at the other Deuteronomy passage because it's nearly word for word the same, so we will accomplish what I need to accomplish by looking at just this 
1. Uh, Moshe says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall swear by his name. And I'm only interested in the first uh, clause here. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. Uh, let's see. Let's go like that. Et Adonai Elohecha tira v'oto ta'avod. The Lord your God you shall fear and him you shall serve. And if we look at the Greek, let's go like that. This is from the Septuagint. The Greek says, Kudion tanthe ansu phobethe kai auto latruses. Notice in the Greek, which is translated at the bottom as you shall fear the Lord your God and you shall serve him. Notice we've got the same Greek phrase, uh, there we go, Strong's number 3000, Latruses showing up in this passage as well. So from the Hebrew avod, or avad, remember it's right there, ta'avod, from the Hebrew avod, or avad, the root word, to the Greek latruses, latruo, uh, Strong's number 3000, we have this idea of worshiping God or serving him almost in the capacity of an employer-employee relationship. That's kind of the range of meaning that we could apply, that we could supply to this uh, Greek word latruses. In fact, I didn't click on it earlier, but let me just bring it up. If we click on the um, the, the, the lexicon for this particular word, uh, latruses, the root word latruo, to perform religious services, right? That's why I said worship God. Uh, to make religious offerings, to dedicate oneself in service to, that's kind of employer-employee, to minister or serve, to do the service worship to work for hire so that's the range of meaning for this particular greek word latruo from what we from where we get the uh, uh latruses however karm has another passage for us to look at when we're talking about serving we can also look at the passage in colossians 3 24 where it talks about serving the sun let's look at that colossians 3 24 Paul, speaking in verse 24 of Colossians, says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. Um, in the Greek over here, Tokurio Christo Duluete. Duluete is not the same word as Latruses that we looked at earlier. You can instantly hear. There's two different words. In fact, this is Strong's number 1398. The other one was Strong's number 3000. Two different Greek words. And yet the English uses the same English word, serve the Lord. But since it's a different Greek word, perhaps there's a different um, nuance. Let's look at the different nuance of this Greek word, duluete. All right, starting, if I click on that word, we're brought to Strong's number 1398, duluo, duluo. This word, as we look at the Strong's concordance, is used in the sense of a slave, someone you're subject to, someone you're devoted to. Look at the help word studies at the bottom there. Duluo, uh, properly to serve as a slave, having all personal ownership rights assigned to the owner, to willingly give over the prerogative to be self-governing. Right? So it's a different nuance of the word. It has more of the relationship of ownership of from, from a master to a slave. The idea that you are a subject to a different person that you're a slave of someone. Now, that's not wrong, given the context of the synonym word that we looked at 
uh, earlier when we're talking about employer-employee or worship relationship. They work hand-in-hand for our um, um, our goal of understanding our relationship to God and to Messiah. So when we look at the, um, let me drop, go back over to the Matthew passage. When Yeshua says to Satan, the Lord is the only one that you should serve. The nuance implies worship, but it also implies employer-employee relationship. God is the employer. You're the employee, Satan. God is the supreme deity. You're the one who should be worshiping him. We could, in fact, different renderings, different translations will say worship him instead of serve him. But when we get to the Colossians passage where Paul's talking about serving the Lord Christ, the nuance that Paul used when he chose the Greek word, he could have used um, um, the uh, the other Greek word, the one that Matthew used, but instead Paul uses a word that uh, connotes the um, nuance of service as in uh, master-slave relationship or um, con- uh, continued, complete, um, uh, giving up your rights, your personal freedoms. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are you're a slave to the Lord in a good sense. And so that's the nuance of this particular word. But in the end, the nuances aren't um, opposing one another. They work in conjunction with one another to help us understand that God is the one that we worship. He is the exclusive employer that we work for in our worship and in our service to him. And since the Lord Yeshua gave himself for us, he died for us, then we have to accept his lordship and we need to surrender our lives to him. And that relationship can uh, uh, be described almost in terms of slavery. We're a slave to Messiah. He has bought us with his very blood. He purchased our lives with his very life. And so, uh, like Crystal Lewis, the, the, the um, popular Christian, uh, uh, contemporary Christian singer says, I now live because Christ died. I live because Christ died. This life I live, like Paul says, is a life that I live for the Son of God. He gave himself, he gave up his life so that I could live. Therefore, I am his slave. I'm his duluete, like Paul says, is dulyuas in the Greek, using that Strong's number 1398. And then one last passage, Carm uh, didn't have this in their chart, but it's just another passage that emphasizes the idea of our service to Messiah in the form of a slave of righteousness. Paul says in Romans chapter 16, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Notice uh, in the Greek, yeah, I'll just highlight the the one word. Duluusen uh, is the same Greek Strong's number. It's related Strong's number thirteen ninety eight to the same Greek word that Paul used earlier in Colossians. The fact that we are a slave to Messiah is now contrasted with the idea that there are people out there who are not slaves of Messiah, but they are slaves of their own baser nature, their own appetites. And indeed, the analogy is fitting, because a slave doesn't have control over his freedom. He is, in fact, a slave, whether he knows it or not. Now, as believers in Messiah, we are aware of our slavery to Messiah, and willingly so, right? We are willing slaves of our Lord Messiah Yeshua. 
However, those who have not accepted the Lordship of Yeshua into their lives and have allowed the Holy Spirit to take up residency in their hearts, they are still slaves of their own appetites. They're in sin. They're in bondage even if they're unaware of it. But Paul is aware of it. It's just like the old preacher said, when you're blind, you're doubly blind. You can neither see your own path nor the path that your fellow um, man is walking on because you're doubly blind. You can't see anything. But when your eyes are opened by the truth, you're doubly sighted. Not only can you see your own path on which you're walking, but you can also look over and see the path of your fellow uh, journeyman, the person who's on the path with you can see where he's walking as well. Well, people who are slaves to their own appetites are still in darkness. They're slaves to their own flesh, their own sin, their own bondage. So it's appropriate that Paul would use the same Greek word that uh, conjures up this idea of slavery when we're talking about those who serve our Lord Christ. Understand what I'm saying there? All right, that's going to help us appreciate, again, working through the scriptures and using the Bible to give us this understanding of who God is and what it means for us to recognize that God is one being. And yet he comes to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his complexity, in his, in his, his sometimes unexplainable nature. We don't understand how this can be possible. But we serve God and we serve Yeshua, even though there's two different Greek words this time, even though I know some of you are going to write in and leave comments on my YouTube videos and say, ah, but Ariel, it doesn't show that we're slaves to God and it doesn't show that we worship Yeshua, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay, if I expanded my study a little bit, I could probably find words that overlap there. That's not the point. The point is, they don't have to be the exact same Greek words for us to understand what the Bible is trying to explain here. These are synonym words. We do worship God, and we do worship Yeshua, and we do serve God, and we do serve Yeshua. And we are slaves to God, slaves to righteousness, and we are slaves to Yeshua. Omen, Omen. And that'll do it for uh, uh, exploring the Shema discussions on the issues of Trinity. Let's turn to the liturgy real quick. I was going to read all of Ezekiel 36, 22 through 28 like I did in the weeks leading up to Shavuot. But instead, for, for the sake of time, since we're getting late into our study here, I'm just going to drop all the way down to the part where um, the promise of the Holy Spirit kicks in. So I'll read just the last two verses of that little set. Ezekiel 36 uh, is a great place to meditate on. It's one of those chair passages, central um, sections of the Bible that you should commit to memory if you can, but just always have in your like backpack where you can pull it out and reference it from time to time. Your backpack... What kind of strange reference is that? You should have it in your mind. Um, uh, keep a kind of a bookmark in your Bible there, where as a as a believer in Messiah and a follower after the Torah of Moshe, these are such wonderful promises where God's promising to corporate Israel one day. Remember what we talked about in the in the uh, um, uh, Roman study about kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and how it still includes Israel. Right? She's not down for the count. She's not down and out. Well, she might be down and out, but she's not down for the count. Uh, she is down and she's 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 knocked out, but she's not she's not taken out of the ring yet to follow through with the analogy. She's still on the program. When God spoke to Ezekiel, He promised these corporate uh, uh, realities to a people group that's still here today. And we, as the church, need to continue to pray for Israel and to uh, uh, hold her up to God and to look for ways that we can witness to her and share her Messiah with her. Ezekiel thirty six twenty seven. 
The prophet says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Well, we just came through the celebration of the outpoured spirit at Shavuot Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. But, according to the rabbinic authorities, Shavuot is a celebration of the giving of Torah. Is there a connection between the giving of Torah and the outpouring of the spirit? Well, according to Ezekiel, there is. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice the connection. It's the Spirit of God that empowers us to walk into the words of God. That's that's such a great place to stop and say amen. Verse 28, speaking to national Israel, you shall dwell in the land that I gave your forefathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Ah, such such wonderful promises. We as the church should be praying with expectation for these particular promises to come to pass. Let's read those same ver- two verses in the Hebrew over on the right side of the page. Uh, starting at verse 27, it says, And verse 28, it says, Elohim. Turning to our passage in the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament, I was going to read through Galatians uh, 3, verses 1 through 12, like we read in our, um, like we studied in the last 12 uh, YouTube videos. Go back and watch episode number 138, uh, uh, parts 1 through 12 on my YouTube channel, which are available right now. Um, but instead, I'll just make it pretty short. I'll read uh, the first uh, three verses. Um, I'm sorry, this first five verses, and then I'll, I'll uh, turn to the short little video. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Verse 2, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit? Yeah, here's our Spirit talk again. By works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 2. Three, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh or by the works of the law again? Verse four, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And then again, verse five, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by the flesh or by hearing with faith? So that string of verses has Paul pitting Spirit against flesh. And in this uh, regard, in this context, flesh here is represented by the phrase works of the law, which we looked at extensively uh, in those last 12 teachings. Go back and listen to those uh, commentaries or watch the videos. Let's go back up to the Greek. The Greek says, uh, starting in uh, verse 1, Ha anoi toi galatai tishumasa baskinen, te aletheia me pethisthai, hois kat aphalmus Jesus Christos proegrafe esta romanas? Verse 2 says, Tuta manan thelo mathen afhuman ex ergonamu, to penuma elabete, e ex akois pistios. Verse 3 says, Hutos, uh, I'm sorry, Hutos anoi toeste exar enarx amenoi penumati nun sariki epitalista. Verse 4 says, Tosauta pathete, aka gay kai aka. Verse 5 says, Ha un epicoregon human topenuma kai in ergon dunames en en human ex ergonamu e ex acois pistios. 
And we'll stop right there, kind of in the middle of his question, as he continues his question to verse 6, which I'm not going to read tonight. And that'll do it for the liturgy for tonight. Let's turn to the um, video, and right after the video, we'll simply uh, dismiss in prayer. You ready? Here we go. Welcome to A Minute or Two with the Word. I'm your host, Torah teacher Ariel, where every week or so, we take a look at a relevant passage of Scripture together as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. The book of Joshua contains one of the most familiar and beloved passages in the Tanakh. Allow me to quote chapter 1, verses 7 to 9 for our study. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This passage is not too difficult to understand. God commissions Joshua, the new leader of the people of Israel, and the successor to Moses, to have strength, to have courage, and to be careful to remain faithful to the written essence of the covenant that Hashem made with the people of Israel. Covenant words that Moshe was careful to copy down for the people to have access to. To be sure, God assures this young leader, quote, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, end quote. Interesting by inclusion are the details that spell out God's side of the contract, quote, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success, end quote. The Torah does not automatically or corporately result in eternal salvation if one walks in its commandments, but make no mistake, it does extend this world blessings to those who are careful to do according to all that is written in it. The truly wonderful news for those of us who are Christians today is that under the power of the Ruach HaKodesh within us, we not only desire to keep God's laws, but we are actually empowered to do this very thing. Read Romans 8, 4. The righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And by the reality of the Messiah, Yeshua, living inside of us, we too can be assured that the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. Let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name. I thank you for the opportunity to share with the students. I bless you, Lord, for the wonderful truths that you have revealed to us through the pages of your word. And by the power of your precious Holy Spirit within us, you are empowering us to lead lives that are pleasing to you, lives that are in servitude of one another, uh, modeling the lifestyle that our Messiah, our Master, 
uh, Yeshua uh, left for us. He was a servant of servants. And by the same token, we now are empowered to serve one another. Indeed, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the presence of the Spirit in our lives, we can't accomplish that which you are um uh, commanding us to do. We can't serve one another. We can't love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't love one another in the capacity that is required for us to fulfill the righteous requirement of the Torah. We have got to be filled with the Spirit to do that. Lord, help us to continue to press in and to avail ourselves of your Spirit working power within us. It is His work in us that causes us to praise and to worship Yeshua and to lift up His name and to honor Him as Lord. It is His power within us that causes us to to surrender to His Lordship. It is the Spirit's working within us that um, empowers us to uh, say no to our own flesh and to our own stubbornness and to insisting that we have our own way. It is His working within us that leads us into a lifestyle where we uh, continue to look out for the well-being of the other person, uh, seeking to build up the body, seeking to um, uh, enlarge the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, that um, you have not forgotten us. You're blessing us. You're protecting us. You're raising us up. You're giving us a voice in this very dark world. We want to be ambassadors in your kingdom. We want to be witnesses. We want to share the gospel, the good news. We want to 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 go door to door and knock and 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 tell others about Jesus, but we're afraid. We we're we're fearful. We don't want people slamming the doors in our faces. We don't want people spitting in our faces. We don't want rejection. You have commissioned us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and that we must do. But the comforting thing is knowing that we're not going under our own power. You have sent your spirit to go with us. You are inside of us. It is you giving us the words to say. We study your words so that we can have your words hidden down within us so the Holy Spirit can activate those words when the time comes. Give us divine opportunities to share your good news with those around us, with our friends, our family members, bringing them into this relationship with God as well. Continue to raise us up as families, protecting us from this pandemic. Lord, we're thankful for the um, the progress that's being made in many countries where the pandemic seems to be subsiding. The COVID seems to be uh, retreating. Uh, the vaccinations seem to be working. The, the social distancing, the hand washing, the mask wearing, all of that seems to be effective. Thank you, Lord, for that progress. Help us to not lose uh, sight of the fact that you are the one who's in control. So we give you the praise, not our own ingenuity, not our own, uh, um, not our own um, uh, knowledge and our own wisdom and our own, uh, uh, you know, um, medical uh, breakthroughs and things like that. Not that you're not using those, but Lord, ultimately you are the one who's in control. So we give you the glory and the praise. Continue to protect us and go with us this week. Bring us back together next week so that we can study again. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. Bashem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, 
to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. Thank you.